This is Thin Blue Crime, a true crime podcast discussing some of America's most dangerous criminals, the police, examining both the crimes of the past and current movements to imagine a police-free future. This week, we'll be discussing what to do if you experience police misconduct, taking a deeper dive into the COPA process, as well as hearing about one man's first-hand experience with the system. We ask, how do police accountability reforms function, and who do they serve? Tune in. Hi, I'm Hannah. Hi, I'm Chris. And welcome to Thin Blue Crime, your friendly neighborhood abolitionist true crime podcast extraordinaire. Redacted friendly. Redacted friendly. (laughs) Mostly friendly. (laughs) Friendly asterisk to some, not to all. Um, Anyway. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, We've told a lot of stories about police abusing their power. Obviously, that is like the basis of what we're doing here is talking about police abusing their power. But this week, I want to be able to talk about what to do when that happens to you. What to do when you are a witness or even a victim of police abuse. So... This week, that's what we're going to do. And we actually are going to even hear from someone who unfortunately has firsthand experience dealing with police misconduct. His name is Jerome Edwards, and he is a Chicago man who, after being roughed up by the police in 2020, reported it and is still dealing with the consequences today. So just be warned that conversation might be a little heavy. It's going to be towards the end, because first we're going to give a little background on like what to do when you are confronted with these situations but um really excited to have jerome be joining us today let's talk about what it means to be a victim of a crime in general and how you move forward from that so um i don't know chris have you been a victim of a crime i know that's a really (laughs) out-of-pocket thing to ask someone have you been victimized (laughs) i i have been a victim of a crime yes um and so you would probably know that when you are a victim of a crime, our society basically says, go to the police and they will fix the problem. But I think it's time that we be reasonable about that because not everyone can just go to the police and not everyone wants to. Um, I don't know about you, Chris, but for me, when I was a victim of a crime, I did not go to the police. Um, Something I've talked about pretty openly Mm -hmm. was I was sexually assaulted in high school and I never even thought about going to the police because for me I knew that they weren't going to believe me and even if they did it would have just made my situation worse Mm -hmm. I was romantically involved with the person that did this um he was very popular within the community and I just I knew reporting it was going to cause more harm to me than good like I was able to get out of that situation as best I could what was reporting going to do it wasn't going to it wasn't going to undo what had already happened and something I learned later in college when I was assaulted again but his rape kids are super traumatizing in their own right and like a lot of victims of sexual assault don't want to go to the police for that reason as well they don't want to have to relive the trauma every time they talk to the police about it every time they go for a medical checkup anything like that so policing is not a reasonable solution for most people who are victims of that crime and that's it's not just that but sorry Chris go ahead it's not a reasonable solution it's also not 
top of mind like to me what what you're saying makes so much sense like violence uh, most violence is so interpersonal like when you asked me if I've been a victim of crime I was like huh and then I was like oh well yeah but like a crime you know like the violence is often so interpersonal it's not like the first thought at least for me isn't like crime it's like hurt you know like and, and I'm, exactly. I'm the kind of support I'm I'm seeking is like mental health care not not yeah justice system I don't know but also like what does justice look like because say say Chris you came down to DC and you stole my car justice for me is getting my car back it's not you going to jail but I know if I go to the police that I might get my car back but you are definitely going to jail but you're someone I know you're someone I don't want that to happen to like right that's another reason why people don't go to the police. Sometimes people don't go because they have a criminal past and they don't like the police. They don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable or protected by the police. Sometimes it's because they're undocumented and they're worried about going to the police and having that impact their ability to stay in this country. Sometimes they are victims of police. And who do you go to when police are the people that are victimizing you? Right. Sometimes there's an intimidating language barrier. Like there's all sorts of things that can cause people to not get the police, go to the police when they're victims of a crime. But the sad thing is victims often don't have access to resources without going to the police. Mm -hmm. And we need for there to be a way to get that support outside of policing. Luckily, there are some things that you can do. So one of the ways people can get support outside of policing is through victim advocates. And this is something I actually had never really heard of until I spoke with a victim advocate about this case. So for this episode, I was able to talk with a victim advocate in West Chicago named Dana, who's fantastic and a listener. Dana, oh my god, literally telling everyone about our conversation because it like changed my brain chemistry. Shout out to Dana. I didn't want to put too much of your personal information in this episode because I know that you're doing really good work, but there's a victim advocate out there in West Chicago named Dana and she's the best. (laughs) Um, Anyway, she explained to me kind of how victim advocacy works. So basically, if you or a loved one are a victim of a crime, victim advocates can provide you assistance moving past that incident. So that assistance can be financial, it can be therapeutic, it can just be general assistance like moving through life, like helping drive you to appointments, things like that. Like it's, it doesn't look like one thing. Dana actually described it as being someone's temporary personal assistant. So I think she mentioned that she had helped people apply for remote jobs because they didn't feel comfortable working in person anymore. That was something that she could do. So it's these victim advocates, they like do a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that the police won't help you with. Right. Police are not going to be your temporary personal assistant as you're trying to cope with being a victim of a crime. So to get support from Dana's organization, you don't have to engage with police at all, which not all victim advocacy organizations are like that, but Dana's is. And it's really good because in West Chicago, where she's working, a lot of people who are victims of crime, they don't want to go to the police. They don't trust the police. Right. Um, But most people in general are connected to victims advocates through either the police or the hospital. So say you have been shot, you're at the hospital, they will connect you with a victim advocate who probably specializes in gun violence, which is um, what Dana specializes in. 
Um, but victim advocates, like I said, they provide support that the police don't. They are um, 501c3 organizations, and they're funded by a combination of independent individual funding and state funding. Um, a lot of the support that they provide often relies on money that can be found in victims' compensation funds. For those who don't know, every single state and DC has a victim's compensation fund, and these are basically funds for victims of crimes to get support, and Dana's organization often uses these to fund things like funerals or pay for medical bills. But every state has different eligibility requirements, and this is really important because one of those eligibility requirements is what keeps victims of police violence from accessing these funds. So in DC, where I live, to qualify for these funds, you have to have suffered a personal injury or death in DC or be a person who resides in DC. Um, the crime has to be reported to law enforcement within seven days of occurrence. So already you've lost people. Anyway, so many people. Seven days. I will say for sexual assault, the um, time period is longer. But in general, seven days to report something to the police to get compensation. Um, application for compensation must be filed within one year of the crime. The victim must cooperate with reasonable law enforcement requests, which also you've now lost people. Right. Also, quote unquote, reasonable. That could mean anything. No, because what the hell does that mean? Uh, the award of compensation cannot unjustly enrich the offender. So like... If I kill you, I can't apply for victim's compensation to be like, I was really traumatized by their death. No, I did it. And most importantly, the victim cannot participate in, consent to, or provoke the crime that caused his or her injury. They could have said their injury anyway. Um, now that's important because that is how victims of police violence are kept from getting these funds. So also for example, to say provoke, like, what do you, you, so I imagine like a bar fight, I imagine like a bar fight, you would be considered if you and some drunk person got into a fight and one of you died, you wouldn't be eligible for victim's compensation because you provoked that fight. I think that's what that's getting at. I still think that's wrong, but no, cause it's like, okay, so the crime actually was your fault because you provoke that's crazy yeah so um dana's organization specializes in gun violence but there are organizations that focus on all sorts of crimes except police crimes um because they can't access a lot of those funds and police prefer to handle incidences of police misconduct internally so before you can access victim services like victims compensation or support, they have to determine how culpable you were in your own victimhood. And even if it's been determined that you're not culpable, you have to go through a civil proceeding to get any sort of meaningful compensation from the police. Wait, so and so there's no victims advocacy like groups for or vic like services no. i guess for people no at least at least none that i could find nor any that dana could find and dana actually when she got this job with the gun violence organization was looking for ways to support victims of police violence and literally could not find those opportunities because the police wow. don't want them to exist police want to handle everything internally 
Wow. Um, any radical law students out there? I have a project for you. Like, that's crazy. No, she was telling me this and I was like, that's one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard in my life. That's insane. What do you do when you've been a victim of police violence then? So I tried to figure this out. I did some research and this was the best I could come up with. Step one, document everything you can. Names and badges of every cop involved, date and time and location of the incident, any photos you have of injuries you or others sustained, any photos of property damage, any evidence of how this incident affected you outside of physical injury, like journal entries, therapy notes, etc. Anything to to prove what happened to you and how it affected you needs to be documented. Step two, contact a lawyer immediately, ideally with someone, someone with experience in police brutality. And it's funny because I used to always be like, why is Ben Crump involved in every single high profile police killing? And it's because he has experience and it is necessary to navigate the nuances of crime committed by the police. Yeah. I would imagine like your experience is actually even more important then because there's so much like red tape. Well, and like this frustrating thing is a lot of people who are victims of violence by the police, they can't afford a lawyer. But the reality is navigating all the ins and outs of reporting to the police is way too challenging as a civilian with no legal experience. And as we said before, there's no victim advocates that can step up and help you with that. So step two, contact a lawyer. Step three, report the incident to relevant accountability offices and pray someone actually gives a shit. Um, In Chicago, which is where Jerome is from, so that's why I'm bringing it up, this office is called COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. So let's talk a little bit about COPA. COPA's vision, you're going to love this, Chris, is to be the leader in police accountability by conducting thorough investigations to advance the culture of policing and build trust in civilian oversight. Their mission is to provide a just and efficient means to fairly and timely conduct investigations within their jurisdiction. They are not a police entity, they're a separate entity. They receive state funding though, and that funding can't be less than 1% of the police budget. Low bar, low bar. Bar is on the floor. Bar is literally in hell. Also, mission statement, performance review, you failed. Yeah, no, I didn't even include the whole mission statement because part of the mission statement included like, and we're pushing for policy that will make things better. It just, whatever, (laughs) mess. So let's look at what COPA actually investigates. So COPA investigates bias-based verbal abuse, coercion, death or serious bodily injury in custody, domestic violence, excessive force, improper search and seizure, firearm discharge, sexual misconduct, taser discharge with that results in death or serious bodily injury, pattern of practices of misconduct, and unlawful denial of access to counsel. In contrast, the Chicago Police Department, Bureau of Internal Investigation, they are in charge of investigating criminal misconduct, operational violations, theft of money or property, planting of drugs, substance abuse, residency violations, and medical role abuse. Right off the bat, people are at a disadvantage because how are they supposed to even know who to report stuff to? Because a lot of those things sound the same to me. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the difference between 
criminal misconduct and excessive force like how do you distinguish between those and add on to that you're like reeling from the trauma of experiencing these things and then you're supposed to sort through it like it's hard to like find a therapist when you need one yes after like you've been a victim of a crime you're supposed to sort through like all this like bureaucracy yeah yes you are you better figure it out you better figure out the bureaucratic process to get any sort of justice but wait will you really get justice because Say you've made your report to COPA. They say that they are committed to independence, transparency, integrity, and timeliness in their investigation. But what does that really look like? When COPA is investigating a report of police misconduct, they first need to determine whether the report is sustained, meaning they found and can prove misconduct, unsustained, meaning there is insufficient evidence to prove or disprove misconduct, unfounded, meaning the complaint of misconduct is false, or exonerated, meaning that the officer acted lawfully and properly. So right off the bat, you only have a one in four chance of them even giving a shit. Right. But once they've determined a claim is sustained, they will determine what sort of disciplinary, disciplinary action is warranted. They can inc- This can include, but is not limited to, additional training, suspension, or termination. If the chief administrator of COPA finds the accusation to be sustained, and recommends discipline, then the finding and recommendation are shared with the superintendent of Chicago police, who has 60 days to review the findings and respond to COPA. If COPA and the police don't agree on the findings, then the case goes to the police board. And the case also automatically goes to the police board if COPA recommends suspension of over a year and or termination. There is no time limit on how long this process can take, and while the COPA website says they expect most investigations to be concluded within six months, if they aren't, COPA just sends a letter saying the investigation is taking more time. Do you want to know how long Jerome's investigation has been going on? Tell me. Two years. He's received several letters being like, ah, we're still looking. So it sounds like their commitment to timeliness isn't, and independence isn't really all that great, but... What about their commitment to integrity and transparency? Mm -hmm. Well, as far as transparency goes, I think you'll be thoroughly unsurprised to hear that they aren't at all. Mm. Once you file a complaint with COPA, they will give you a case number. And if you want to check on the status of the investigation, you can call the COPA main office and ask to speak to a case liaison. But honestly, don't waste your breath because the case liaison cannot and will not disclose any details regarding ongoing investigations. Jerome has called, I don't know how many times, and they keep telling him this. And to be fair, it is on the website where they're like, we can't disclose any of this. So not very transparent. That's like the most most disgusting things about like the justice system is like just 100% decentering of the people that were actually harmed. Yeah. Like it's your case and you can't even hear about it. What? Yeah. Well, and where does this leave victims waiting in their homes, hoping to hear that the police that threaten them are no longer an active threat to them? Because if you've been a victim of police violence and you're now just waiting for this investigation, how do you continue to go through life? What what happens if someone breaks into your house? You're going to call the police, the same police that beat you up, who yeah. might still be on the street, who might know that you're invest that you opened an investigation against them. 
Exactly. You carry all of the risk, but get, then hold none of the power. Exactly. So this system is set up to fail. Like in, in everything I described to you, first of all, how complicated is that to navigate on its own? And I had trouble navigating it as a person who is in no way a victim of a crime right now. Right. Imagine you're dealing with the trauma of not even just being a victim of a crime, but being victimized by the very same entity who is supposed to be protecting you, who is supposed to keep you from being victimized. How do you move forward? Right. So, first of all, Chris, do you have any questions about this very incredibly complicated process? No, I don't think so. I mean... (laughs) question not ones that we have answers to I was gonna say I I if you do have questions I'm not sure I can answer them because this is super super complicated yeah and going back to in talking with Dana the victim advocate even a lot of the things that she told me were things that she kind of just had to you make educated guesses on because this information is not readily accessible mm-hmm. um like this this principle that like there's no poli- vic- there's no victim advocates for victims of police brutality there might be but you can't find them on google you can't just search Mm. victim advocate police violence because you know what the first thing you're going to get is the police's website Mm. i also want to say copa when you go to their website the first thing you're going to see is there's two options file a complaint right next to that compliment an officer I thought you were going to say report a crime. Oh, what? That's actually crazy. I didn't, I was not ready for that. An officer is one of the first things you see on the website. They're like, yeah, they're not all that. Like, we're also here for compliments, not just complaints. The C can be both. That's insane. And the craziest part is, so if you look up COPA, you can see reviews. They have like 1.5 stars. Half the reviews are like, they're useless. They're not going to help you. And the other half are like, these anti-cop people, they don't care about the police. And I'm like, who is this serving then? Who is this serving? (sighs) And this, you can't tell me that this is the best system of accountability that we have. This is like some like liberal reformist dream. They're like, yes, every city needs a COPA. If only we gave them like 3% more of the police budget, like that's it. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and COPA is supposed to be this like advanced thing because they were only established in like 2016 and it was supposed to be so great because they're independent. But the reality is how independent are you if you're one going, you're funded by the state and Two, you have to, before any sort of disciplinary action can be brought forth, you have to get it approved by the police. Right. Like, there's no justice within the system. Like, you can't, like, (laughs) if you have to go through the state, that means they're going to make you go through the police, like, always. Absolutely. So... We are here with Jerome Edwards. He is a citizen of Chicago and he wanted to come on and share his story about police misconduct. So Jerome, do you want to introduce yourself? 
Yes, my name is Jerome Edwards, and I'm at age um, 60 years old, and I was, um, as, a, as I would say, a single parent at the time and everything, so yes. Awesome, so Jerome, just to kind of hear your story from yourself, can you just kind of start from the beginning in this incident in 2020 and tell us what happened? Yes, uh, it was in 2019, July 13, uh, 2019, and um, I uh, picked my fiance up and we uh, went over to my nephew's house uh, because he have a, a, like you would say, a man cave uh, garage, and he asked me, can I uh, fix his uh, stereo, his DJ uh, stereo, because that's what I do as well. So I pursued it to go over there with my fiance, and uh, um, we uh, end up over there approximately about 6 o'clock in the evening. And we, I did what I had to do to help him with his DJ equipment and stayed to approximately around about uh, 10, 30, 10, 45. And as I uh, was there, I left from there and was pursued to go home. And but before we went, was going home, I um, went, wanted to go to this restaurant. But as I pursued to go, the, um, down uh, Polk Street to uh, Roosevelt Street. I got caught up in between between um, what you would say Albany and Fillmore, which they had a uh, some young kids them had a party on a on the street. So as I pursued to go that way, I got caught in the middle and I had to wait three maybe two five minutes to get get through. And as I finally got through, I made a, a right-hand turn. I didn't even know that the police officers then was on the side of me, which they was on the uh, outside lane, which is by the curb. And all I said was, uh, where is the police at when you need them? And the uh, African-American officer hold his head up because the window was down and it was nice outside. I didn't even, you know, wasn't saying anything uh, to me out of, my, out of my knowledge that I was saying anything wrong. But um, he said, we hear you. And I looked over because my truck is higher than it. And I just said, um, oh, excuse me, officer, I wasn't talking directly to you. So they stayed on the side of me, followed me to the next block, to the next block after that. And I, I obeyed all my traffic stop signs and lights and everything. They followed me all the way to uh, the restaurant, which is um, not like not around the corner from my house. And as I pursued to go to home in Roosevelt, I pulled over, entered to go to the restaurant. I out the car. I didn't even know that they had busted U-turn, but before I can even get out the car, and I no, I got out the car and pursued to go on the sidewalk. Officer Regalado jumped out and grabbed me and just threw me into the back of my vehicle of the truck before I can even get my foot on the sidewalk. And he 
threw me real hard, and then he grabbed me, him and uh, this other officer, I guess he was the lead head officer, which is Officer White. They grabbed me and put the handcuffs on me so real tight, and I asked them, what did I do? And they never told me what I'd done. So at the time now, they got me, then they got my fiance, and uh, she had a cooler. And uh, he said, um, he never got a chance to drink it or anything. And they, they know that. And they took, told her to throw it out. And they know, don't throw it out. Officer White told her that. And Regalado stood by as well. So after after that, um, they put me in a in a uh, in a squad car, and I kept asking Officer White, "What what did I do?" They never told me. Then they talked it to um, my fiance, which is her name is Miss uh, Rita Gray. She, she asked them why did they do me like that. They said I resisted. And she said, how did he resist? He said, that's all type of ways of resisting. So after that part there, they had uh, uh, kept me in a car. And I'm like, I couldn't grab my my, uh, my my shoulder, my left shoulder, because I was handcuffed. And I was trying to tell him that I, I, you know, I have a crushed left shoulder. I'm from an injury back in uh, 83. So... As I pursued that in the car with them, and uh, I, I was asking, they had uh, asked my fiance to ask me would I take uh, two tickets, a couple of tickets, and I said, "What? Well, well, you know what I do? Where would I take two tickets? I didn't do anything." So they then they said they were going to charge me with a DUI, and I'm like, "Okay." And I and I like I be honest with I had a beer, one little can of beer, but that was like around about six o'clock when I was over at my nephew's house and I told him I I have nothing else to drink and I was fine. I wasn't scurrying, I wasn't uh um uh, as they say I'm doing any reckless driving or speeding anything. So um they took me they took my fiance and my sister that came that uh, they was taking me to my Sinai Hospital, the officer called for a white shirt. And on the white shirt, when I speak to uh, my fiance, he shook his head no. And then that's when they got through, I guess, writing up writing up their reports for me. Was, they took me to, instead of my Sinai, which they told my fiance and my sister, because my sister stayed right across the street from the restaurant, and they uh, took me to St. Anthony. Where they did an EKG on me, uh, they took no uh, blood, they took no urine, uh, anything from me. Finally, got me to the police station, which was Harrison and Kansas. They ended up having me doing a, the, the sobriety test, and I explained to the lady, "I have a, um, I'm on disability. I have a, a crushed left shoulder, and my, I have a bad." Uh, right knee. I explained to her, and I, plus I had on sound, I said, well, I'm not going to be steady enough to, well, I, but I didn't refuse anything. Even the breathalyzer test, I didn't refuse it. They uh, made me blow in the breathalyzer test, and then they said it came back 
0.38, but they made me blow twice. So I did what they asked me to, and as I did that, they uh, I ended up. Uh, they, I guess they did the report, and then I ended up. They ended up taking me down to 26 in California, charged me with a DUI. As I um, so Jamal, Jamal, I just man. want to make sure that we understand everything you're saying. So they seemingly pulled you over for really no reason, and they said that you had a DUI, but they gave you two tests and those tests, what did they show? Well, they didn't give me the test until I, I left them from the hospital. And they, uh, uh, it was, they had, uh, like I said, they took me to St. Anthony Hospital and they had called for two uh, other officers, I guess, to aid assist them. And it was a black uh, Africa uh, lady and a, a Spanish uh, um, officer, which was Martinez. And then they transported me to Harrison Kansas. And she made me do the uh, the test. And she do, uh, said that I wasn't standing. I was doing things before. Um, you can tell me what to do. I never had a DUI in my life. And so I didn't, I didn't know how it go or nothing like that. So, um, as I said, once again, uh, they, they, uh, made me blow do the test and the test came back 0.38. And that's cause I blew twice. And my fiance, now make that, think about it. They make you blow twice. So they knew that you wasn't intoxicated or anything like that because, um, if, if if it can't just imagine they could they you had nothing and you haven't did anything so she said just add up 0.19 and if they and then when he think that he's he oh he couldn't believe that i wasn't under the influence anything so he made me blow again so when i blew again i guess they put the 0.19 and 0. well 19 and 19 is 38 so, so First time that you blew into the breathalyzer, it said 0.019, and then no, when asked... I when I when they never they never told me what my uh, blow test was, and that I did uh, uh, the uh, the young man that I had, well, I had to try to afford a, a private attorney, but I couldn't afford him, and so they appointed me to a public defender, and. He said that uh, um, his name is uh, Mr. McDonald, and uh, he said that uh, this wasn't nothing. He said this case and it never came in his courtroom. So uh, he said, uh, "0. Point, he said 0.38. He said that's nothing. So he said he can beat it. So as um, I was, you know, trying to, uh, I before I even went to court. Now I said this happened uh, July, July 13th or 2019. When this happened, two weeks later, I go in my mailbox, I get a Jesse White envelope with my driving license wrapped in a, a blank piece of paper two weeks later. And three, three weeks, three months later, 
they they impound my vehicle. Of course, they impounded, and uh, th- three three months later, they gave me my vehicle back, and I I didn't have to pay, I didn't have to pay a dime or nothing. And uh, the officer White, I guess he was like I said, the head uh, officer. He uh, I had to go on uh, 400 North Superior, and he must have had to come and sign off on me to release my truck back to me as he was coming down the hallway because I was went in one courtroom. They sent me out to talk to the the lady at the desk. He come down the hallway hollering out, Mr. Edwards, Mr. Edwards. And I'm just startled looking. And as he approached me, he hit me on, on my shoulder and said, uh, it wasn't personal. It was just business. So the lady at the desk like looked like, what was all that about? So I'm like, I, I, I'm just, you know, I was stoked because I'm, I don't know. And so they gave me my vehicle back. And I proceeded. They, they know that I didn't do anything wrong. So the gentleman that I had as my first uh, public defender, so, Jerome, one second, before we get to the public defender, yeah. I just, again, I want to make sure that we're fully understanding. So, your public defender, he is the one who told you that um, what you blew in the breathalyzer was 0.038, and it wasn't something that should have even brought been brought to court, correct? Correct, correct. But when they stopped you and arrested you they took your license mm-hmm. in your car yeah they took my license and they and, and they took uh, they told my vehicle and it took you three months to get your vehicle back yes ma'am they they said that um they found uh, in a um a cooler two alcohol bottles that's what that was a fear that was a story. They found nothing. Only thing that they found was the can, uh, uh, the cooler that they got on my paperwork. That they that uh, Miss Blackberry cooler that Miss Gray has said this is her. I don't even drink a cooler. And she told him this is my. And uh, um, Officer White told her to set it down. And then he said, uh, "No, he said." Don't, he said, throw it away. And then he said, no, don't throw it away. Just set it down. So I know, Jerome, that you also, you had a public defender. And I know you had some trouble with the court system. But ultimately, your charges were dropped, correct? Yes, ma'am. They they they, they knew what they was doing. They knew um, because, like I said, the, the first public defender, which is Benjamin, who wanted uh, to go to trial immediately. And when I, I say I had him for maybe, what, two months, two, two, two months. And the, the, my next court appearance, uh, I get a whole nother uh, uh, public defender. And this gentleman, his name is Benjamin. This gentleman, then, then at the, I'm, the first thing this man came to me and asked me, would I plead guilty to a speeding ticket? I said, no, I wasn't speeding. 
He said, would you take a reckless uh, 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 ticket for reckless driving? I said, no. So I, I, stand, I stood firm on what I believe in because I didn't do anything wrong. And this gentleman, everything that he, he, I thought he was supposed to be my public defender to be there to help me like Mr. Uh, McDonald was, this guy, he was so, so bad. And I and I they prolonged it, this case. That's they knew what they was doing because they knew that the officer them was wrong. And they tried to say that the incident happened on Holman and in Roosevelt. The incident started. The incident started from when he said he heard heard what I said. I said, Well, officer, I wasn't talking to you, which was on Roosevelt and Troy. And so I guess they got uh, offended about it, and that's why they uh, followed me and, and was uh, harassing me, and then they took it personal. So, so I, ultimately, mm -hmm. your charges were dropped because you hadn't okay. done anything wrong. Is it before the charges were dropped or after that you contacted COPA? I I contact I contact Copa before before then and uh, I did a um on what is that a interview a, what is televised interview with Copa and um I just talked with Copa uh, the sixteenth with uh Shamika and uh they've been the Copa been doing the same thing just. Giving me to run around, they still giving me to run around. Um, when did you uh, first? When did you first report this incident to COPA? Um, the, the next, the next day. The next day. So in 2019. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. And your case still has not been resolved with COPA yet. They still have not told you anything told me anything i i've been asking for the longest who is my investigator because the restaurant have cameras on it then walgreens have their cameras and then you got taco bells on the corner as well uh and uh, i just wanted to talk to my uh investigator that they will never you know I never talked to out of all this time. Same way I, I had three, four judges, and they knew that I was innocent. And they they allowed the state because when I was in court, going going to court, um, they went and I had it was a state attorney lady had went to the next courtroom to get another state attorney man, and he. Uh, he was asking, like, what can we, you know, like, charge him with, you know? And uh, he, you know, had a big book, and he trying to figure out something. And he had his head hanging down on um, the book. And the officer, uh, White, he, he was there. He was just into his book because he knew that he was wrong what he did to me. So uh, the gentleman said, well, only thing we can try to get him on is, is uh, his breathalyzer. And I guess they knew that that wasn't, you know, my, it, was, it was too, as I would say, too, 
too low for them to try to convict me on. So, so and then, mm -hmm. so since this incident happened, and you know you've been through court, your charges were dropped, and you reported this all to COPA, but how are you feeling in regards to the officers that were involved in this? I know you said that one of the officers said something to you afterwards that said it wasn't personal, but do you feel like there is something personal between you and the police? Do you feel like they are there? Do you feel safe with the police? Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't, I, I talk with a young lady, it's uh, uh, um, uh, Dana, Dana. Is I was going to say, talking about Dana, little... the victim advocate? Yes. And uh, I was telling her how I I'm, I feel so scared at a lot. Of, I, I put chairs up against my front door and my back door because um, it was times that they'll be sitting out in front of, by like in front of my house, and uh, down by the alley, they just sitting there. It's like that was the other day. They as soon as I um, get in in a vehicle, and um, I'm finna get, they see me get in my vehicle, then they ride past, and the officer just looked at me, and I'm like, okay. So I'm I feel feel like really worry. I fear, I fear because I, I never know because I had another incident with them as far as it was officers, like six of them in front of the building. And so me and my fiance was coming out, but I came out before her and it was six of them. Um, they asked me, do I, do, did, do I know who called the police at this building? And I said, uh, no, sir. And I, I they like you sure? I say yes, sir. Right answer. So then my, that's when uh, my fiance she Wait, come sorry. Out. Did they they said right answer to you? Yes, they did. And and when now when she come out, they asked her, Miss, did you call the police? She said no. And now if someone in this building called the police. Why y'all say that it came from this building? After you think me and my fiance, we told you we don't know anything. Why would y'all leave? That's why I know y'all was here to harass me. And they left because if somebody called the uh, police and needed safe service in this building, they just all got in their car and they left. They didn't ask so anybody else in the building if they had called the police? No, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Just see me and see my fiance, and they got in their car and they left. I don't, all I know is the state's attorney came back in the courtroom, told the judge, we're just going to dismiss this. Because the officer, he, he, he said he wasn't uh, the arresting officer. So they prolonged it long enough for two and a half years. And then wait, that's when wait, he sorry. Your 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 charges were not dropped for two and a half years? Yes, ma'am. Wow, that's a really long time that this was weighing on you, that you had to deal with this. 
years for two and a half years. And um, when they uh, dropped the charges, um, that's when the um, um, public defender being came down and said, Ms. Elton, yes, they dropped the charges, but I, I do want you to know that that the police them, they still out there. So that was like a threat to me. I want you to know that the and this is what my public defender told me. And Mick told me and with my fiance, I want you to know that the police them, they still out there. So Jerome, if if you were to be in an emergency, would you feel comfortable calling the police or would that make you nervous? It, it, I feel uncomfortable in calling the police. It definitely make me nervous. I would not, I would not, um, I, I guess whatever happened, it would have just happened to me because they, uh, if I had several other incidents with uh, Harrison and Kansas police station. And it's sad because uh, they, 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 by them, have, now I don't even live where I was having a, a, another incident with them. And um, I, uh, this is a uh, state attorney that um, I know at uh, 26 in California. He, he, I was trying to explain to them that, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm 60 years old. What is I'm doing? I'm not out here robbing. I'm not out here shooting nobody. I'm not out here stealing. I'm, 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 a, I'm an older man. I don't know, but they don't look at you like that. It's like they mess with the weak ones and the older people that they know ain't gonna, you know, ain't, ain't gonna, I guess, do nothing, do too much nothing, I guess, I don't know. But I don't know, well, I'm, I'm, I just feel so sad I, I, and depressed and um, and then, you know, this, and then coping them, they not making it no easy for me because she told me that the, my investigator will give me a call. That's that's been since the 16th. And I asked to speak with an investigator almost over a year ago to find out who who investigated my case. And they wouldn't, all I get is the same thing. They keep mailing me the same same letter, saying the same thing that, that uh, um, you know, your, your, your case is being under review in the uh, and Chris, this is what we were talking about earlier with COPA, how every six months they send a letter to say we're still reviewing. Um, yes. That really leaves people in a position like you're in, Jerome, where you just, you want to know. You want to know what's going to come of this. And you deserve to know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying, I'm trying to get my, you know, because if they... If they doing it to me, I mean, I looked at, I look, I watch TV a lot, and I see a lot of the gentlemen that was wrongfully accused and everything, and but they did actually did time and and everything, so I can just imagine, you know, if what the city and then they we got two uh, uh, people that's running, two gentlemen that's running for um, to be the mayor and. They say they will hold the office them them accountable if they you know like bust in a birthday. I don't know about all that. I, I, I'm so disappointed with with everything. 
So I know that it can be really hard to talk about all of this that's happened to you, Jerome, but I really am curious why you did want to come and share your story, especially in such a public way, because I think it's a story so many people can unfortunately relate to. I, I know people who have been through something like yours and not everyone's comfortable talking about it. So why did you want to talk to talk about it? Why did you want to tell people? I wanted to tell people and I wanted to talk about it because I I was a victim. I was a victim and I, 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 it, it, it hurts to see when we supposed to depend on to uh, be served and protect by uh, the law enforcement to be there for us at the time of needing. They take they they it's like they take it personal, and then they turn things all around. Uh, I just want to say this as well. I was uh, uh, falsely accused uh, a few years ago when uh, I, where I lived at. Yes, everywhere you go is a drug area, but. I didn't wasn't doing anything, and the uh, officers them had uh, this young lady and this gentleman. They, you know, they now it was a white shirt that uh, Harrison and Kedzie that didn't didn't like me because in my building they sold drugs out of that. And I'm I'm with a I'm a single parent with uh, with it's real really I have five girls and I and I got certificates and everything for for, you know, for them. Um, I got three girls and two boys. I have five kids, so I I have to, you know, watch my kids. And they the officer uh, ends up coming in my house and uh, wanted me to tell them the boys that selling the drugs out here. I said, sir, I was that you know at the time I was working. I don't know anything, and I guess the uh, white shirt was mad at me for not telling them. I guess he just put it out for me, and all the officers then was just harassing me. They um, they had caught this young lady and this guy. He he passed away now, but the young lady she's still alive. And he they told them, uh, if y'all say that he the one, I was talking to my sister. She passed away at the time. That if y'all say that he the one that was selling drugs out here. We'll let you go, cause the young lady I've been knowing her all my life, and she finally opened up and told me the truth that they uh, uh, said is they tell it him and uh, her tell them that I was selling drugs that um, they'll let them go, and they must have told him cause uh, uh, this the Spanish officer come walking across the street, told me again. I, I've just been and told them every time and they end up taking me to jail and let them go. Now, now they charging me with a possession. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just been, I'm, that's why I have no, in, in law enforcement, excuse me for my word because my mother always taught me never use the word hate. But I really despise them. I, I mean, come on, come on. This is not right. Mm. And I have to plead to probation because would you not want to see your last two 
boy, my last two boys, was graduating out of eighth grade to high school, and the officer who who uh, was uh, at the running the case then he prolonged it uh, for nine months, and I never my background, so they like you no. Know, he can get probation. So I, I had to plead to probation for something I didn't even do. It's because I wanted just to see my two last boys go across the state to get their high school, the grammar school diploma. So you could you understand how I'm feeling, what I've been through? We definitely. And then I get a probation, I get a, I get a, a, a probation officer over here on, on what, uh, what is that, uh, uh, right off the Aston and, and Walnut, and this gentleman said, Mr. Elvis, all you've been talking about, you innocent. And I told him, he said, when they see me, he said, I believe you. I believe you. And I ended up with getting a job out in Wilmette at uh, this um, fruit market store, uh, um, Fresh Market. And he seen me, he was there. Because I guess he lived out there in Wilmette. And he seen me, he was so glad to see me. Now, I didn't finish probation. They gave me a year. Just a year, and I finished that with no problem. And he said, Mr. L always believed that you was innocent. He seen me, he was so happy to see me. So it's like I'm, like I'm the one that the police just, want to do anything they want to do to me. So that's why I want to let, let my let my story that be heard to say, don't give up. Don't give up. And, and if you go to court in any type of court, you stick to what you believe in. If you know you're innocent, stick with it. Now, if you're guilty, now, I don't condone uh, uh, violence. I don't condone when people are doing wrong like these these. Boys out here carjacking and shooting people. I don't condone with that. Catch them, lock them up, throw away the key. That's how I feel. I don't care if it's one of my own child. But the innocent one, please give them a chance because it's you know it's it, and then they put it on your your background. It's hard for things to come along for you and stuff like that. So my story, and I pray that people hear my story. And see, and they, they, and people that do know me, know the truth. Because everybody know I'm not like you know like that. And I just didn't feel like I didn't. I I, I just wanna. I don't know. I just wanna be heard too. My fiance, she 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 here, and she know what I'm going through every day. But I I, I got pictures. Uh, me putting chairs to my back door because I want to hear it's because I, I and then I, I'm I'm nervous when I come into the building because I got to walk through a gangway mm. and I put chairs up to my front door because if it fall I know somebody is coming in my house that don't belong there and I'm mm. scared. Yeah, that I mean, yeah, that totally makes sense, and I and I thank you so much for sharing this story with us so if you are for the people that listen to this episode who are touched by and hear everything that you just had to say like what would you want to leave them with what would justice look like to you in this 
in what you've experienced? Well, I experienced, uh, as I would say, a brutal um, with the officer that I thought that we supposed to have trust in. And I would just want to tell the people to, you know, to just, just be strong and just not give up so you know so soon. I've been they sent me through hell and back, but I think I won, and I just don't. I just pray that they stop in. Um, what his name? Uh, Brandon Johnson. He got his hand put. Even uh, Paul. What is Valley? They got their hands full with the officer. They say they're going to train them. And it's it's just like treat people the way you want to be treated. And I think that should be within anything that uh, people uh, go through, and which mainly with officers and stuff like that. That's all right. Uh, and overall, I just want to say thank you for giving me a chance to tell my story and I'm just praying that um, people hear and know that uh, if, if you is not wrong in what you're doing, just just believe and stay true to what you believe in. But I have no, with the police, I have no, uh, with them, period, I have no trust with them at all. Well, we, we definitely understand where that lack of trust is coming from. And we're so sorry that this has really been following you for almost four years now, but we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, feeling comfortable enough to tell people what happens to you. And we just hope that people will be moved by what you're saying and see that, you know, police can harm people, people who did nothing yeah. wrong, people who are just trying to get home at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And, and that harm can last years. Like I said, uh, thank you uh, for uh, hearing my story. So that was sad. Yeah, that was a lot. And, you know, I, I really appreciate Jerome coming and sharing this story because, you know, it's a story that we hear all the time. It's a story I've heard from my own father. I mean, one of the first things my dad said was, you know, never talk back or never sass a police officer because they'll find something to arrest you for. There was a woman, a woman cop on TikTok the other day who was saying, I can find an excuse to arrest you for no reason. And these stories like Jerome, where he said something that, you know, was in this situation, according to him, taken out of context. And that led to four years, four years later, and he's still dealing with the consequences of this. Yeah. And I think it's really, really important that we like contextualize everything we're talking about within real lived experience that's happening around us all the time. So yeah, I'm endlessly grateful for Jerome coming on this episode and sharing his story with us. Um, and my hope is that people will hear this and 
I mean, part of me is like, what, I hope that they'll hear it. And if it happens to them, they'll report it. But we just spent this episode talking about how COPA is inefficient. I mean, we just heard Jerome say he's been waiting four years for his COPA investigation when the COPA website says it just takes six months in general. Well, but I mean, call me radical, but I hope people hear this and realize that reform doesn't work. Like COPA was a reform. COPA was made to, to be some police accountability. So people who are liberals who are fighting for quote-unquote reform for quote-unquote accountability know that this is what it looks like this is advanced this is it in practice 100 percent. i think this really goes to show that some of these reforms that people are talking about they're not going to get us where we need to go they're not going to protect people like jerome and you know in my conversations with jerome he is from the west side of chicago So he has never had an amicable relationship with the police because nobody in in the West side of Chicago, why would they? And when, you know, when you get harassed just for saying something out of turn, when you report it and have to wait four years and still have no answers, like. And on top of that, like you're being like going through court dealing with all sorts of like legal yes yes and Jerome Jerome in some ways I don't want to say that he was lucky because obviously he's he's gone through this traumatic thing but you know his his charges were dropped and that doesn't always happen he had a a um, public defender who was able to look at the charge and be like no this is wrong and he said you know then he got a new public defender who didn't feel that way because that's how a lot of these public defenders are and we should have this whole conversation about like why that is I think we've talked before about how people are incentivized to plead out Mm -hmm. but to his point you shouldn't have to if you've done nothing wrong yeah yeah and oh god yeah I I totally agree it's I don't have anything to say. Yeah, I mean, I just hope that he gets his justice. I mean, what does justice look like in this situation? But I do hope that he, you know, he was back from COPA and they say that these police officers did something wrong. But even then, what are they going to do? They're not going to fire a police officer over this. Mm-mm. I hope that they pay this man. I don't see that happening. Honestly, I, but... I think, and what's awful, what's awful and fucked up and frustrating is I feel like that's the best case scenario in a lot yeah. of these situations yeah. is that he gets some sort of settlement, some sort of financial compensation, which like, that's great. Yes, please do financially compensate victims of police crime, but that's not going to take away the trauma that he's experienced I mean he can't he can't call the police if someone were to break into his home he does not feel like he can call the police right I mean he's taking measures to keep to be aware of if someone breaks into his home because he's afraid of that happening with the police based on his experiences so so just to kind of leave people with some positive because this, you know, this is a sad episode. We're talking about how reform doesn't work and how the police have victimized this man. But one thing about the city of Chicago 
separate from their policing, where we know people cannot get support, is there are some incredible mutual aid networks in Chicago. So I can't sit here and be like, there's things that you can do in Chicago to help this police situation, because that's kind of tough. Like, this is gonna, like, yeah, you can vote and you can protest and things like that, but the police are going to continue to function in Chicago, but ways that you can support community is if you just Google Chicago mutual aid, there's so many things that are going to come up, but just to name a few that I know off the top of my head, I know that in Bondsville, there's the Bondsville Kenwood mutual aid network, which is on the South side of Chicago. Definitely check that out. There are the Logan, there's the Logan Square Mutual Aid Network, another one in kind of the West part of Chicago, but I mean, Lincoln Square Mutual Aid Network, Chicago Community Gardens Mutual Aid Network, like there's so many in Chicago that you can get tapped into. So if you're hearing this, and you're hearing Jerome's story, and you're hearing about, you know, kind of the bad that's going on, go get involved in the good. There is like a lot of good community work being done in Chicago and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can get tapped into what's already happening. And let's be real, you guys, like you don't have to destroy the system to start creating your own, you know, like we can, we can make police irrelevant, not only by protesting and standing up against them and cop watch and all those things, but also by eliminating the feeling of a need for them right and that can only come through community care that is oh Chris I'm so glad you brought that up because like that's really in a lot of ways all we can do it is going to be really 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 hard to abolish the police but even just to like defund the police to decrease the amount of police that we have in our judicial system like I'm not gonna lie to y'all it's not something I see happening legislatively anytime soon, but we can make the need for police irrelevant. We can make it so that if you need to call someone because you need help, you don't have to call the police. There's a network for you. If, and that network can support you in ways that the police never could. I mean, we talked about this with the victim advocates earlier. They offer a ton of support that police don't offer. And you as a community member can offer support as well that police don't offer that makes it so your community doesn't need the police, at least not in the way that they do right now or that they think that they do right now. Because obviously this show has showed that people think that they need the police, but do they really if the police aren't helping them? And I think at the end of the day, like, if people genuinely still think they need the police, I think it's more of a let's not admit to ourselves that there's actually this huge hole in our society in terms of care. Like there isn't, there really is no one you can call when something happens to you that will be there immediately to support you and outside of, outside of family, outside of friends, outside of community. So that like age old question, whenever you say that we don't need the police and someone says, who are you going to call if there's a crime? Let's like create answers to that. And there are organizations already doing that. And like, that's, that's all that like mutual and community care aims to do. 
And like I said, there's a ton of mutual aid and community care already in Chicago, if you are listening from Chicago. But also, I mean, most, I can't think of a single major U.S. city that doesn't have some sort of mutual aid, community care network. But if you are in a small town or you're in a city where you can't find a mutual aid network, start talking to your community members and see what they need and create your own network. But really in general, you don't have to. Tap into what's there and make a difference, have an impact. And then a lot of places, especially the small towns, like tap into like religious uh, institutions as well. And maybe there's different motives and maybe there's, you know, all sorts of complexities, but I'm willing to bet there are some networks of care that are already, that are already moving. And how can you tap into and subvert those? And I know that like, for some people tapping into a religious network can seem like really kind of intimidating or scary, or like, if you're not religious, you're like, oh, I, I'm not into that. But the reality is that in a lot of places, especially small towns, especially in the South, those religious networks are great ways, great ways to get tapped into your community, great ways to find resources. And a lot of them are accepting, even if you're not religious, because they just want to support the community. And so don't feel like your difference in religion or lack of religion should keep you from being involved in these community programs. If a church is doing a food drive, you don't have to be religious to get involved. Mm -hmm. Just go and support the community. Yep. Well, this was kind of heavy today. I mean, they're all heavy. I say this every week. I'm like, oh, this was kind of sad. Yeah, this is sad shit. This is sad. Yeah, it is sad. I am really grateful though to have like this platform and be able to platform stories uh, like drums and to just be trusted. I just feel like I'm just going to take time after this to like sit with like gratitude that I was even trusted to hold that story. Absolutely. Well, this is the end of the episode, but as always, make sure you're following us on social media. If you actually, if you really want to do something, please share this episode in particular. Yes. Help get Jerome's story out there. Share it with someone who doesn't normally listen or someone who you've been wanting to listen because we want to, we appreciate so much that Jerome trusted us to tell his story. And now we want as many people as possible to hear it. Mm -hmm. This is the only time where I'm going to be like, please, please, please share this episode. But like, please let's help get his story out there. So that people can know that if one, if they've experienced something similar, they're not alone, but two, that you can push through it, you can survive. And yeah, Jerome's still experiencing some hardship from this incident, but he's still kicking. He's still out there. He's still fighting. He's still sharing his story because he wants other people to feel empowered to do the same. And so think about it. If you were in his shoes and you were afraid of what repercussions there might be for what he's experienced wouldn't you feel more comfortable if people knew your name absolutely so thank you all for listening let's get your own story out there and we'll be back here next week see you guys next week thank you